Remind the people to be subject to, to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I realized this week that I'm in a codependent relationship with this thing. It dawned on me, I don't know if I could survive without it. I very much underfunction with this thing around, the smartphone. Now, don't get me wrong, I've removed all social media from it, right? And it has been great for my mental health in doing that. But there's a whole bunch of things that this iPhone does, these apps, that I just, well, that made my life so much easier. I mean, Google Maps, for example. I don't know how to get anywhere without Google Maps. It is directing me in all sorts of places. Uh, I don't bring my wallet anymore with me. This is my wallet, and it pays for all sorts of things. But you know what the thing that I most rely on? Reminders. That ding, ding, ding. You've got a meeting in 20 minutes. Ding. It's your friend's birthday. Ding. Don't get to buy a toilet paper. Ding. It's a wedding anniversary, right? Very important dings, reminders that I need. Ones that I put in there myself, but it's amazing how quickly I forget. And I need to be reminded. Ding. Reminding is an important thing. Paul, who wrote Titus, no, he needs to remind Titus. Titus, who's a pastor of a church in Crete, needs to know that his main job is to remind his people. Because as Christians... We so easily forget. So this passage we're looking at is really just two verses. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Two verses that are really just two things, two reminders that every Christian needs to know because we so quickly forget. So that's what we're simply going to do. We're going to look at those two dings, right? Two reminders. But we need to know and remember the big ding underneath it, right? The big reminder. We looked at it last week. God's grace is always the motivator for doing anything good. Religion will tell you, do good, be good, and then God will love you. <clears throat> We're not into that. Christianity, the gospel will say, God loves you. He is gracious to you. Now in response, we want to do good. That's why we've titled this, From Grace Flows Goodness. So that's a big ding that underneath it all. Let's look at the first ding, the first reminder. The reminder to be good citizens. Have a look, verse 1, page 1031 if you close your Bibles. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Now that phrase rulers and authorities is really just whoever's the government. Whoever's the residing power in the nation that you live in, right? They've been given authority to, to lead, to govern, to make the rules, to uphold justice. And notice that word subject, to respect, to honor, to have in high regard. Now, it's not specific of which type of government you'd be subject to. You know, whether it's Caesar, a democratically elected leader, a monarchy, a benevolent dictatorship, doesn't specify, right? And it's not to be subject to the forms of government that we like or the ones we voted for. No, no, no. It's a universal. Be subject to the rulers and authorities. 
Now, for Crete, this was not their strength. And for us in Sydney, Australia, it's not our strength, is it? I mean, uh, I watched Hamilton the musical. You've seen Hamilton the musical? About the founding forefathers of the USA, and they sing and rap and all that kind of thing. It's an amazing musical. I'm not not into musicals. But uh, it's basically about how the USA was formed. And watching it, I mean, I didn't know much about American history, but I learned, all I know is because of Hamilton, I learned and appreciated why Americans love liberty and their rights and freedom. It's because they really began out of a revolution that revolted against the king. And then I thought, I wonder if they made a musical about how modern-day Australia was formed, right? About the convicts coming and, you know, being in chains. and all. It wouldn't be a very good musical. It'd be quite a short musical, right? Because not much has changed. I mean, the convicts were here and they're under authority and then the king was above them, 1788, 2032. Well, we're still under the king. There's been no revolution, right? We just go with the flow. That's what us Aussies do. We don't rebel or revolt and COVID proved that, right? We're a very complicit society and our Americans felt sorry for us, right? But you know what we're good at? We may be complicit, but boy, we love to complain, right? When it comes to the politicians, ooh, we whinge and moan, and we've been doing that for many, many years. We boo at the Prime Minister every time he comes into a sports stadium. And people boo even though they voted for him, right? The way we talk about politicians, we whinge and complain and berate them and all sorts of things. And it's a funny, it's sort of this catch-22, right? We say and point to politicians, is this the best we can do? Right? Is this the best we can do to lead our country? And yet the way we talk about politicians and berate them, I mean, who would want that job, right? We just whinge and complain. But here's the first reminder, ding, remind the people, we're going to be subject to the rules and authorities. That Christians living in Crete or modern-day Sydney are to be different, to actually show respect an honour for those who are in governing power. Now, it's okay to disagree with them, but we don't bag them out. We may be against for what they're standing for, but we don't humiliate. A Christian should never say the words against the politician or the police or anything like that, words like idiot or loser or muppet, right? You know what would be really counterculture as a Christian? Share what you're thankful for, what the government is doing. Now, that is radical, right? That stands out like nothing else because it is no anti-Australian and yet it is so Christ-like to be thankful for what you've been given. But, you know, it's not just respect. Notice the words to be obedient. The government authorities are not by accident, right? It's not, there's a reason why it's in every country, every group, right? Because they're given by God as a gift, a gift to restrain wickedness, to uphold justice in this very broken world. Because what you've got to realize is bad government is still better than no government. Right? In, in Montreal in, the, in 1969, the Montreal police went on strike. That was at 8 a.m. By 11.20, the first bank was robbed. By midday... Uh, Most downtown stores had been closed because of looting. Within a couple of hours, the taxi drivers burnt down the garage of the limousine drivers because it competed against them for airport customers. The rooftop sniper killed some police. Rioters broke out. By the end of the day, six banks were robbed, a 
100 shops had been looted, 12 fires had been started, 40 cardloads of storefront glass had been broken, and $3 million in property damage had been done. In one day, when the police striked. Bad government, bad authority is still better than no authority, no government. Romans 13, verse 1 to 2 is very helpful here. It's on the screen. It says, The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities are rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Friends, God has placed authority over us. And it is for our good, for the order of society. And we have it very good here compared to others in other countries. You call the police, you expect them to bring justice, right? Most people around the world, they call the police and the police will go through their place and take what they want and go home, right? That's a common experience in other parts. Of we have it very good here. It is a good thing. And Christians, when it comes to authority, should be exemplary citizens. When the government says, I want you to do this, we don't whinge or break. We say, all right, we are willing. Take tax, for example. At the government mandated, when it comes to income, depending on what you get, there is a tax that they take. And as Christians, our first response shouldn't be, well, how much can I not pay? What loopholes can I find, right? Tax avoidance is not Christ-like. We pay the tax the government has asked us to pay. We don't pay more than that, right? But we pay what we're supposed to. I mean, take Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man who experienced God's radical grace in Jesus showing absolute kindness and hospitality to him, right? And what is Zacchaeus' response? He looks at his finances and says, I've been taking and withholding a whole bunch of things and I want to fix that. He goes out and makes amends with his finances. A number of years ago, my old church, uh, a guy became a Christian, and he realized he'd been withholding tax from the government for a number of years, right? And when he became a Christian, he was convicted and thinking, I need to do something about this. He called the ATO and said, uh, explain the situation. Like, I, I wanna, I've been withholding tax, and I want to give it back, right? How do I go about that? And the person at the ATO said, you're not one of these born-again Christians, are you? <laughs> and he said, well, I've, I've actually become a Christian, yeah. He said, we got a few of your type. And I love that, right? Now, that was about 20 years ago. I hope it's still the case that the ATO is getting these calls. Is there an area of your life, brothers and sisters, when it comes to finances, that you have not been giving what the government has asked you? Because ultimately, it's what God is asking of you. Take, for example, driving rules that the government has placed upon us. Speed limits. Or not texting while you're driving. Ooh, that's a hard one. We come up with all sorts of things. Oh, the speed limits, they're too slow. In other countries, they're different. I'm a great driver, whatever it is. The rules, they can be changed. They can be, right? But what are they now on this day? Because whatever they are, you are called to obey them. Because they're there ultimately to protect life, your life and other people's life. And what you've got to realize is when it comes to the government rules, they're not just rules. They're moments of law-abiding worship to God. We've sung songs to God. We've, we've prayed together. That is worship. But when you drive 40 in a school zone or not pick up your phone when that text comes when you're driving, that too is worship to God. Now, what about if the government asks us to do things that are not Christian, right? 
That's always the question. You know, what if, what if we were to obey every time? And there's a beautiful moment in the Old Testament with Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. Where Daniel was asked to pray to the king and not to God. He did say no. But he still obeyed the authorities when the punishment came. He didn't go kicking and screaming. No, he went willingly even to that lion's den. Because there are times when, yes, we do not obey because our ultimate allegiance is to God. But even as we're in that disobedience, we are still obeying the authority. Friends, honouring the authority, the laws above us, ultimately, is honouring God. And we can submit to the government, ultimately, because it's not our final authority. The Lord God is the King of all. But you notice it does say, the next bit, ready to do whatever is good. Governments have their role, right, in upholding justice, restraining wickedness. But you know what they cannot make rules about? Kindness or generosity or doing good. It's not their job. But as Christians, we're to be ready to do whatever is good. It's almost like we're on the diving blocks, ready to jump into a sea of good works. In a couple of weeks, Easter is coming, and a whole bunch of kids are going to run out into their backyards and find chocolate scattered amongst the, you know, the, the rocks and the leaves and the trees, and they're going to be excited about what they will discover. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, every day you wake up, God has placed good works for you to do, to find and discover and to, to enjoy. That is who we're to be, ready to do whatever is good. That this week, there'll be opportunity to make a meal for someone in need to financially support someone, to give a lift, to donate blood, to give what is very precious to us, time, by listening. There'll be moments to bless maybe the people in the service industry, the cleaner, the parking inspector, the, the, um, the council worker. People often we overlook. There are good works to do to honour them, to send that encouraging letter to that politician, to pick up rubbish, to plant a tree, to mow lawn, to send that encouragement. Whatever it is, there is a buffet of good works for us to do because there's people who want to be ready to do whatever is good. Each day, friends, the best thing you can do is not wake up and scroll through your phone. The best thing you do is wake up and say, actually, today is a day where God has put a whole bunch of good works for me to do. And I want to go find them. That's the first ding. The second ding, the second reminder, is we're to be people who use good words. Verse 1 says, Remind the people, verse 2, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. That word slander means malicious, malign talk. It's unkind, harsh words that come from our lips. And notice it says, slander no one. It doesn't say, well, it's okay to slander when you're on the sports field or when someone cuts you off while driving, right? No, 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 it's slander no one. Instead, we're to be peaceable, considerate, and gentle. You know, in all our lives, most of the problems come, most of the stress, most of the hurts come from the words that we have used or been said against us. And they leave a bit of a trail of hurt. Uh, there was a father with his son, and the, son uh, the father was trying to help his son control the words that he was using because he was quite, well, let's, we'll call it a bit bullying, right? 
to his siblings, to those at school, and he would say harsh words all the time. So the father got the son to every time he said a harsh word, an unkind word to someone in his life. He had to get a nail and a hammer and go out the back and hammer that nail into the fence post. After a couple of weeks, there was quite a few nails on that fence post. And then the father took the son out and said, I want you to take each nail out. And he did. And father looked at the son and said, you may be able to remove those nails. You, you may have forgotten the words that you've said, right? They just fall to the floor. But have a look of what you've left. And he saw all the holes in the fence post. He said, every word that you've left left a hole in that person. Because that's what words do, yeah? Words hurt like nothing else. Words have power. But the thing about our words is, particularly harmful words, is we're quite indiscriminate about who we give them out to. We give them to people who are different from us, who are like us. We give it out to people who we don't like and who we love, right? What's with this? Notice it says, slander no one, be gentle towards everyone. Because we do it to all sorts of people. So, So let's just focus on the people who are different from us and then focus on the people that we love. You know, it's very easy to see why we might be harsh with our words to those who are different from us. You know, those who have a different political view. We think, well, they're just a bigot or they're just woke. Someone who's a different age and stage, and think, oh, they're so naive or just so outdated. It's a different class, right? We call someone a snob or a bogan. Someone from a different race who we think, why are they doing that? They don't value these things. They smell with that food that, you know, it's just weird, right? And words pour out of our mouth because there's a whole bunch of people who are so different to us. And often when we're hanging about people who are like us, it's a form of entertainment of just bagging them out. What adds more fuel to the fire is when you've been hurt by someone who's different from you. But you know what the antidote to a slanderous tongue? You know what it is? It's that word considerate. To stop and consider with someone who's quite different from you, what's life like for them? Where are they coming from? Why is this their norm? Why do they do the things they do? Why do they react in that way? And the only way you will go about this considering is by listening. Because listening is the thing that brings about empathy for someone who is very different from you. I mean, a very small way. This happened a couple of weeks ago. I was going out and I checked the weather. It was supposed to be not raining. It rained the whole day. And I was furious at the weatherman, right? I was just telling everyone, what an inc- I mean, they've got one job. Can't they do this one job? Anyone who would listen, I was just slandering the weatherman the whole day. And then a couple of days later, I read an article which said meteorologists find the east coast of Australia the hardest weather to predict in the world, right? The east coast, our place, right? The hardest in the world. All of a sudden, when I heard that, I said, oh, I grew in a bit of empathy for the weather. They've got a hard job, right? They're not just looking out the window and working out what's what, right? This is a really hard thing. It grew empathy. When you consider and listen more, it's amazing how that does impact your tongue. Another example, I grew up in Western Sydney, right? Rudy Hill, where the butt end of most of my jokes growing up were aimed at people who lived on the Lower North Shore, right? (laughs) Ironically, God has a sense of humour, and here I am. 
And yet what I realized in listening and living and spending time with brothers and sisters who live in the Lower North Shore, it's amazing how, when you consider and listen, you humanize people. And it softens the most slanderous tongue, even in the form of jokes. Considering, listening, that person that you find different or difficult from a different culture, maybe they're on the spectrum, maybe they have a whole bunch of things in your life and you think that is just... Brothers and sisters, taking the time to consider, to listen, that does a powerful thing in controlling this thing. Now, you might not have the opportunity to do that. At the very least, we should consider what God has said about them. James 3 on the screen. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. I don't know what you think about this picture. What do you think? I'll tell you what it says. It says, putting the rubbish away in the bin from every country. That's what that's a picture of, right? Now, we look at that, and we might laugh, and we might think, okay, that's not very good. And we have all sorts of reactions. But for my son who made it, who's four, if I was to laugh at this, right, and think, that? Come on. That would profoundly hurt him, right? Because he's the maker of this. And it might not be very good, but it's his. When we look at people who are different from us, they, we might have all sorts of questions, eyes, brows raised, and think, oh, that's so weird. Remember the creator who made them. Because when we have slanderous words, when we make fun, we are hurting the one who made them. That every single person made in the image of God has dignity and value. So, brothers and sisters, we are to remind the people to slander no one. But truth be told... It's the people we love that often we slander the most. It's the people who are family, friends, who we know, who we like to hang out with, that often our tongues are quite loose around. Why is it? Why is it we do that? And sometimes it's just because we're too comfortable. We get complacent. Yeah, this is true with siblings, right? We grew up saying to our siblings, I hate you. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. I'm not playing with you ever again, Right? And we just presume, because they're four, they're not going to leave the house, right? They're always going to be there, right? So you just sort of get complacent and you get lazy with your words. And that moves into adulthood. Sometimes it's friends, right? You love your friends, but they have something that you want. Maybe they own a house. Maybe they got married. Maybe they got the personality. It seems so social and lovely. Maybe they got a promotion or go on that holiday. And envy just bubbles up. And envy is not safe because it comes out in slanderous words to their face or behind their back. But lo and behold, most of the time it's just because they've hurt us. And we use words to try and hurt them back, to get them to feel what we're feeling. What does peace, what does it mean to live at peace, to be gentle with everyone? Let me speak friendships and marriage. Firstly, friendships. Friendships are an important and precious thing. To have a good friend is a gift. But in having friends, friends will always at some stage be annoying. You might feel ignored in certain seasons. They've done something, they've forgotten something, they've said something, and it hurts. And can I just say, that hurt is real, right? That hurt is deep. 
You want to honour that hurt not by a default of slanderous tongues, malicious words that come out. You want to honour that hurt by sharing it with them in an appropriate way. Saying, when you did this, I felt. When you spoke to me like that, I feel dot, dot, dot. Honour that hurt and share it. I mean, I had a friend a number of years, great friend, and then all of a sudden, and I don't know why I stopped replying to my text messages. I just want to catch my beer and it'd fall almost on deaf ears. And I was feeling forgotten. And we'd been friends for many years, 10, 15 years. And I found myself, not to his face, but to other people, slandering him, saying all sorts of things, the problems with him. And so I watched this in myself and realized there was a deep hurt that I was carrying at the end of the day, and I needed to tell him. And so I packed up the courage to share, this is how I'm feeling. Now, to be honest, what didn't change was the friendship, right? It still was the same, and he didn't reply to my text. But you know what did change? Me. My tongue. To be able to share what he'd done was a soothing, healing balm that my tongue needed. Now, sometimes we can't share it with our friends. But you know what? You can always share it with the Lord God. To write it out, to journal it out, to lament it out. Because that hurt is real, and we want healing words at the end of the day come from our tongues, not slanderous ones. To those who are married, you need to be gentle with your words. Husbands in the room, listen up. Your wife sees herself largely, largely through the words that come from your mouth. If you say words like shut up or you're being overdramatic or you're so emotional, you're putting on some weight, you're whiny, right? She will see herself largely through those words. Now, if you're saying, well, I don't say nothing, I don't say anything, right? And that's a problem too, right? Because if you say nothing, the default always is presumed the negative. But if words like, gee, you're beautiful, you're hardworking, I see what you're juggling, Thank you. Gee, I appreciate you. Gee, I find you sexy. Words like this are life-giving. And they bring peace to a marriage. To the wives in the room, your words have a massive impact on your husband. If words like, I just like having another child with you around, you're incompetent, you're idiot, you never appreciate anything, you never get anything right, right? He will start to see himself through those words. But of words like, gee, you work hard. Gee, I'm proud of you. I got your back. Gee, you're such a man. Gee, I'm thankful for dot, dot, dot. These words are what he needs to hear. Now, you might be thinking, but he doesn't deserve it. But she doesn't deserve it. That's grace, right? That's grace. Neither did you deserve the words and love that Christ has shown you. Friends, slanderous words, and this is true, right, the longer you're married, the, the longer you're married, you need to hear this. Slanderous words slowly destroy and erode a marriage. But it is amazing how grace-filled words bring life to the, even the most dormant and dying of marriages. Remind the people, 
to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle to everyone. All of us need reminding. Because we're so prone to forget. We forget who God's placed over us and to be good citizens. We've forgotten who's beside us to treat one another in good friendships and good marriages. But at the end of the day, friends, we forget. But we need to remember. You know what we need to remember most? We need to remember what God has forgotten. We looked at it last week. In Titus chapter 2, it says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify himself for people, for himself. All of us will fail to obey the government one way or the other. All of us will slander with our words enemies, people who are different from us, unlike us, and very much people we love. And we cannot remove the damage that was done. We can't remove the holes in other people that we have caused. But the Lord Jesus Christ can. There on that cross, he redeemed us. He took what was the damage that we have done, and he took it on himself. And he said, I'm going to give you my righteousness, that beautiful swap that happened on the cross, where our record goes on his, and he gives us his perfect record. That beautiful grace that we experience, friends, that gift is the only thing that will spur us on to know my past is not me. My present situation can be changed. And I need these reminders, these daily reminders of God's grace in order to do good. Because that is who we are as God's people. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, you've given us abundant grace. At our worst, you gave us your best, your life on that cross. And in light of that, you do call us to do good to everyone that we encounter. You, Lord Jesus, said, blessed are the peacemakers. And we pray that we would be people who make peace in our society at large and in our little communities that we're a part of. Help us to see the opportunities where we are to do good, whether it's obeying what we're told to obey, whether it's holding our tongue from spouting out hurtful words. Help us to trust you, Lord as we encounter difficult people, laws that we find hard to obey, and the people who are close to us that we love. Show us how to do good for your glory and give us the strength not to go weary in doing good. Amen.